You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. As we hurtle toward the conclusion of another year, we collectively tend to look into the future, the unknown, and make predictions, calculated guesses, about what's coming next, based on what we know up to this present moment in time. We ask ourselves how what we know now can prepare us for how we'll respond to what's coming tomorrow. We collect data and crunch it every which way to see if there's something new or novel that's likely to emerge, or if something we've seen before could resurface. And sometimes gut feeling gets sprinkled into it. Today's episode is a bit of a year-end cybersecurity fortune cookie. Its focus is an attack trend that surged in 2022, cookie hijacking or stolen cookies. There are lots of names for it, and we'll dive into what, where, when, and why in the conversation itself in a moment. What I will say here is that it's an attack trend our CyberArk Labs researchers predict will continue to flourish in 2023. To dig into the stolen cookies trend and what's coming next, today I talk with VP of CyberArk Red Team, Shai Nahari, and research evangelist of CyberArk Labs, Andy Thompson. The names might sound familiar because both Shai and Andy have previously been guests on the podcast, and it's great to have them back this time together. Today's talk is based on a subject Shai and Andy have spent a considerable amount of time researching and thinking about. And it's something you should be thinking about too, in preparing for 2023 cybersecurity challenges. You guys have been talking a lot about this recently, and there's a webinar which we'll tell folks about at the end uh, that they can they can dive in for more information. But we're here to talk today about a trend that we're hearing a lot about, which is what makes it a trend: cookie harvesting, cookie hijacking, and as I understand it, that that just means really the theft of cookies. So let's start with the basics. What are session cookies? Where are they located? And why are they such attractive targets for attackers? I'll shoot it over to you, Andy, just to get things rolling. All right. Well, that's that's a lot of questions right <laughs> yeah. off the bat. So I'll, I'll try my best here. Uh, we'll start like with the origins of cookies, and uh, this was like back in 1994. A uh, developer by the name of Lou Montuli was working at Netscape and basically created a. Well, they didn't. He didn't create anything. He leveraged an old concept called the magic cookie, which allowed for. Uh, credentials to be uh, passed uh, through a file uh, on a Unix system. And he just applied that concept to the web browsing experience to make the uh, session uh, and the experience for an end user that much easier. Uh, Unfortunately, that exposed a lot of, of risk to it too. Essentially, cookies are I don't want to steal it from Shy, but it's a little bit of trust, right? Uh, mm. That allows for the session to be established very, very easily. It's a, a collection of files that are stored on the, the local file system uh, contained within a web browser. And uh, this is the target that attackers are, are focusing on uh, nowadays to really perpetuate their attacks. Why is it such a fun name? Any, any uh, idea? 
cookies I are wish fun. I knew why the, 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 the term cookie, where it came from, uh, except for the fact that it was originated from that magic cookie concept. Hmm. But I, I really don't know. Shai, do you know the origins of the, the, the term cookie? No, I do, I do not. Um, maybe just make it enticing for, uh, for attackers, right? Um, no, I, I really don't know why. Yeah, uh, where the term cookie came from. That's a good segue in, into the next question. For and I'll send it over to you, Shai. What are a few sample scenarios uh, in which attackers could target and steal cookies to bypass um, MFA without getting overly technical? Right. So, so um, as Andy mentioned, you know, basically cookies are a form of trust, right? They are stored in the browser. Uh, what inter- one interesting thing about cookies is because they are used by users in browsers, they don't require special privileges. Okay, so they mm-hmm. run in the context of the user itself. The cookies are they're set after user usually authenticate to a certain website or use web application. So imagine your bank, and you go and you use your single password authentication, your password, and then your MFA. And then you eventually granted access to the uh, to the bank. At that point, the website will set a cookie in your browser that's saying every time you authenticate for a certain period of time, you send me the cookie, and this is how I know you're already authenticated. Um, for us as attackers, this is a goldmine, right? Because we now have something that would authenticate us or you to the destination. You already proved your identity to it. And it's saved with your own privileges. So we don't even need uh, special privileges to access it. So some scenarios that we can gain access to this would be gaining access to the user computer, right? So if you have a malware or an implant running on the target, you can simply use the existing privileges and steal those cookies, okay? Um, Another example would be if you do gain access to privileged um, credentials within a broader scope, let's say Active Directory, then you can do that at scale. You can use special privileges to just harvest all the cookies from all the users, giving you access to the entire organization network and security. And again, the interesting part is it happens post-authentication. So it happens after the user already used their MFA, um, which is uh, just you know, icing on the cake, pun unintended. So this yeah, is... This, yeah, go ahead, go Andy. Ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that Shai makes a really, really scary point here is, is that this is bypassing the authentication and authorization, meaning that regardless of what MFA brand or product that you're using, whether it be Radius, SAML, or even the folks that are using adaptive MFA, once that cookie is established, it doesn't matter. You steal that, you've hijacked the session, essentially. So thinking about it then, does it sort of render MFA useless? I wouldn't say it renders it useless. Every security product out there is not infallible. There's no literal silver bullet. Uh, MFA goes great bounds in, in increasing one's security posture, but it, it's not infallible. Uh, we've seen situations like what we're discussing today in order to bypass MFA. We've seen MFA exhaustion attacks. Uh, but at the same time, it is a super, super strong security control. And by no means am I saying don't use MFA. Yeah, and I, I'd like to add to that. You know, if you think of this, you also want to consider security boundaries, right? What mm-hmm. is the role of every security component here? MFA 
was never designed to protect against local access. MFA is designed to protect in scenarios where users' password is compromised, let's say by, you know, uh, credential stuffing. So if you use the same password on different attack and that credential got, um, got exposed, MFA will protect you against that. The, right. the attack that we're talking about assumes certain level of access that are basically not in the mandate of MFA. So if you have access to the computer or to the device, it's a different type of threat vectors that is just not something that MFA was designed to protect. Gets, again, talking broader scope here. Yeah, compo- yeah. Components. I mean, from so like a remote a attacker perspective, like a remote attacker perspective, MFA is incredibly powerful. Uh, but like I said, once the machine is compromised, whether it be from a domain level or a local endpoint level, this is where the ability to, to hijack a cookie with no admin privileges comes into play. So it, 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 it's absolutely appropriate. It's just that defense in depth concept that we constantly advocate for that really will make a difference. So when we're looking at this, we're obviously talking from an individual standpoint, whether this happens to some regular consumer user or at the enterprise level. Exactly. And, and that's, that's what's scary. There is almost no differentiation between them, right? Imagining, because you, know, you could be using browser to access your personal bank, but you can also be using that same browser to access, let's say, something like uh, Salesforce, right? To access your enterprise data. Uh, fundamentally, the cookies are the same. Um, in fact, I can tell you that because users often uh, what we call contaminate their, their browser with both type of access, when attacker gain access to this, uh, they can gain access to both personal information as well as enterprise information. Um, yeah, I mean, think about it. With the onset of COVID-19 and our quote-unquote digital transformation and migration to remote work, the, the lines and our perimeters are, are essentially blurred. Uh, the perimeter of our control where we used to have, you know, really good, strong oversight of our, of our web sessions and whatnot used to be, you know, within the containment of our corporate, you know, headquarters. Now that we're all working remotely, now that we're the majority of our work is being done in a web browser. This is what's making cookies a resurge as a juicy, juicy target for attackers. Um, Both of you guys have been on the podcast before. Thanks for coming back on Uh, uh, again, Andy, you were the, uh, our episode number one talking ransomware and shy. You were episode number five, preparing for the cyber unknown. And that'll give a lot more of your backstories and background. if, If people are interested um, Shai, you had mentioned just a few minutes ago that referring to to you and your team as us as attackers, you're an adversary simulation. I assume that was a reference to that. In your respective roles, labs and red team roles, that is, how do you work together um, when it comes to something like this? And in this case, how does your individual work come together and how is that knowledge used to ultimately protect organizations? The way we see it is is basically two sides of the same coin, right? We we look at this from same perspective in many cases, but the way we go about implementing it is a little bit different. From the red team side, we spend a lot of our time weaponizing and researching techniques that attackers can use and then actually use it for our customers to allow them to test themselves against um, the adversary. So a lot of the way we, we go about this is weaponizing attacks or creating new attacks, um, but then allow the our customers 
the ability to test it, we don't often publish a lot of those techniques. Obviously, if there is a vulnerability that we find, we will responsibly disclose it to the vendor. Um, but most of the of the research we do is around TTPs and method of attacking or weaponizing or you know defensive evasions. Again, things that adversaries would TTPs. Do. What are what are TTPs? Thank you. So TTPs stands for tactics, techniques, and procedures. Basically, everything that encompasses attackers' ability to operate within the organization. Okay, uh, but again, we focus on hands-on weaponization, defensive evasion, and what uh, organizations are likely to see when they are targeted by um, by threat actors. Um, I think the labs is again they they look at the same problem, but they have a, maybe a little bit different um, approach to that. Andy, you wanna you wanna comment on that? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you, you teed me up perfectly. We, we at CyberArk Labs do de- definitely take a different approach to this, um, albeit we're all on the same side here. I think our research will help not only uh, CyberArk, but uh, everyone. Uh, we're a team of uh, about 30 or so malware reverse engineers, vulnerability researchers, and we're looking at it more at a higher level uh, and finding these sorts of vulnerabilities. Most recently, I'm presenting the research of uh, Mr. Zevik Ben-Parat. Uh, he did an extensive amount of research into discovering how and where credentials, including passwords, but no less cookies as well, are exposed in clear text in memory. And so really the work that we're doing right now is, is highlighting his research and just showing that, again, as a standard user, uh, you can spawn processes and read the memory uh, of the Chrome uh, process in order to extract credentials. And and that's just one way. I mean, there's in the presentation we'll be giving, uh, I believe it should be on demand by the time this uh, podcast goes live. Uh, we'll be talking about, I think, five different ways to go about harvesting secrets, cookies, and all sorts of juicy bits from uh, from web browsers. Uh, but again, to take a step back, uh, CyberArk Labs focuses on the research, responsible disclosure, that sort of uh, things from a vulnerability perspective, whereas Shai not only does that and then some, uh, but also, you know, executes these sorts of things as part of his TTPs. Yeah, I, I, just, just to tell maybe two funny stories. Um, one of the things we're trying to do, you know, it's part of a methodology that we have is we don't want researchers to have predisposition towards a certain subject, right? So a lot of time we would have people researching things on their own, um, but don't share it in a very early stage with other people because we want other people to kind of do the same thing and kind of validate our assumptions. Um, some examples that we had is we at the Red Team, we found a certain technique um, to do some sort of uh, code execution in a way that evade uh, security product. And we were using this for, you know, with customers engagement, um, until we, on a certain engagement, we, we got detected. Um, and funny enough, uh, a, a researcher in the lab kind of thought at the same time, thought about the same way, kind of found, found a way to detect it and implement it in our product. So, and, and, and that's exactly what we want to do. So we got detected by our own product and result of research independently without sharing that, um, that research. And that's exactly what we want, right? We want to be able yeah, to come up. So with, spot on shy. Yeah. I we mean, want to be able to come that's up. That's exactly with what the labs team is doing as well. With this particular research, we were able to develop policies uh, that were able to be implemented within the endpoint privilege manager that 
really allowed our product to stand out amongst the rest because our research was directly influencing the development of these sorts of features. Essentially, the research that we do enhances the, the features of our products and solutions. Uh, Andy, you had mentioned the webinar uh, that you and Shai will be uh, presenting, and that is, uh, do, do webinars drop? That, that's dropping on November 30th, which is a few days before this episode drops. Uh, you'll be able to find that on cyberarc.com. Uh, and it's called No More Cookie for You, Attacking and Defending Credentials in uh, Chromium-Based Browsers. Um, and, and there's going to be a lot more on this subject. Um, from Yeah, it's from on demand, so uh, feel free to check it out, and you can watch it at any time, folks. Awesome. Why are we seeing attackers embracing this uh, cookie harvesting, cookie hijacking uh, approach? Um, why, why now? What, what's been going on? How has it emerged as a trend? Yeah, so I think it's a really interesting question. So first of all, just to mention, we have seen actor groups doing this for, for a while now. Um, you know, one famous example is Lapsus. Um, that uh, actor is known to use cookies to um, to move laterally and horizontally within the network. Um, why we're seeing this? So there's a few reasons. One, and the, probably the most important thing, that is from the attacker perspective, right, it's a gift that keeps on giving, right? It happens after MFA, as we mentioned, so it bypasses the authentication, but it gives you constant access. And maybe more importantly, it circumvents a lot of the defensive controls that you have. So imagine um, that you're an organization, let's say Fortune 200, and you spend a lot of time protecting your endpoint, your infrastructure, um, maybe your internal identities. Um, and then an attacker get a hold of this. You can take that cookie, and use it on a different machine, different side of the world, circumventing the entire control and sometimes visibility that you have. So the attacker can gain everything. You can gain access, you're basically evading the security product, you're gaining long-term access, okay? Um, and oftentimes the organization don't even have visibility to that. Um, so, so we've seen, again, we've seen actors adopting this. This is not new, but we've seen a widespread adoption um, you know, happening in the last maybe year and a half, two years uh, at scale. Um, Andy, any thought on this, on, on your yeah, end? Yeah, I, I, I'm just waiting to jump in. Huh. Uh, really, I, I think it's because of the reliance on the browser as our primary vector for connectivity. I mean, just about everything we use nowadays is no longer using dedicated thick clients or whatnot. They're, they're using a browser uh, to, to broker access. And so that's why I think cookies are becoming that much more uh, relevant in today's society. Uh, I should also mention that these cookies are easy to access, like we discussed earlier, but they're being bought and sold as a commodity on the dark web. And what we're seeing is, is actors like Lapsus and others aren't even spending the time to compromise uh, an endpoint in order to broker access in. They're just buying it outright. I mean, we saw this recently with uh, EA Sports. Uh, somebody was able to purchase a $10 cookie uh, in order to impersonate uh, someone on their Slack channel. And that's how they were able to, uh, able to perpetuate the social engineering attack that allowed them to do all sorts of other nasty stuff. 
But the point is, is that it was $10. They didn't have to really work that hard at it. Uh, I, I think that the ease of access to session cookies, uh, the ease to steal session cookies, uh, and our reliance on these browsers uh, is really what's causing this to be a, a new resurgence uh, when it comes to session hijacking. Interesting. So that you know of, is there any you know effort underway to change the way these browsers fundamentally work? <laughs> um, that's a funny question because I just had, <laughs> before joining this, I was on a conversation about this topic exactly. One of the problems in this is there are certain requirements that needs to exist in, in the browser world. One, it is running, as we said, as the user. Right? So you don't even need to have local admin or privileges for that. Two, it needs to be simple to use. It needs to cater to a lot of uh, users' um, scenarios. For example, let's just give one example. Um, you know, We know that browser can save our passwords. Right? They give you the option to save the password. In order to be able to, for the user to see the password, it needs to be able to decrypt the content that he saved on his own without requiring privileges. So the, basically the only way of doing this is using the user's own password to the OS in order to encrypt the rest of the cookies, right? So those are constraints that derive from usability and need to cater to wide range of uh, use cases. But at the same time, because you need to kind of cater to the uh, lowest common denominator, you need to kind of make sure that you use things that maybe are easier to for an attacker to get a hold of. In this case, in Windows world, that enforces use of encryption algorithm called DPAPI, which is, you know, it, it, it's great, but it, it doesn't offer a lot of the um, capabilities of bringing your own encryption to, to the table. Um, so, so, so we kind of see a lot of constraint driving the, the design decision around using those cookies. Hmm. Interesting. So... What can organizations do to protect against MFA bypass attacks? And is that different than what individuals, consumers, any individual might do? Um, yes. So, so I think there, we can break it down to enterprise versus uh, individuals. So, so first of all, again, understand what MFA can do and cannot do. Right? The MFA, as we said before, MFA is designed to protect against the leak of a single factor authentication password, mostly remote. It is not designed to protect against scenarios where attackers have access to the, to the OS. So from an individual perspective, you know, we, we want to keep that in mind. Um, we want to make sure that we, we understand what value it gives us. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is other form of attacks for MFA attacks. And one of the other ways is there are abilities to do men in the middle uh, or men in the browser and steal that even remotely. So the same security controls that apply to phishing uh, should be applied because there are ways to phish users um, against MFA. Um, and don't and that, forget, uh, CyberArk Labs came up with this attack you know, several years before it was first instantiated in the uh, Solar Winds breach. Uh, but Golden Saml, uh, if you're not familiar with this, if the Saml signing 
certificate server is compromised, an attacker can basically craft their own SAML certificates bypassing multi-factor as well. Uh, yeah, again, this was this was discovered by CyberArk Labs years before it was ever you know discovered being used in the wild. But uh, there, there's a lot of ways to uh, go about bypassing MFA. It's not not necessarily just with cookies. Well, well one other thing maybe worth mentioning here is MFA fatigue. Right, we've seen this in other attacks as well. Um, we've seen scenarios where uh, attackers basically keep bombarding users with MFA requests until they get tired and approve the access. So all of these obviously fall in both enterprise and and human, uh, sorry, an individual um, uh, realm. So there's a lot of things you can do individually. On the enterprise world, we do have EPM, Endpoint Protection Manager, that is designed to do exactly what you just asked, designed to protect cookies um, in the enterprise environment. And the way we approach this is by using kernel drivers to protect the browsers themselves, the memory and protect against injection, but also protect the the location where cookies are stored. Um, And again, everything is done at a kernel level. So even if the attacker would have gained access to to a local admin, uh, the cookies would still be protected. Yeah, and I I learned something from uh, talking with Shai just a couple of days ago about this DPAPI encryption. Uh, not only are we actively protecting the endpoint with EPM, but using other CyberArk solutions, we ought to, and, and, and by all means, we absolutely are. Uh, organizations should be focusing on protecting domain controllers as well, because this uh, DPAPI uh, master key, Shai, tell, tell me a little bit more about that and, and share that with the audience. Yeah, I don't want to go too too into the weeds, but once attackers do gain access to domain admin level, they can use something called DPAPI master key, which is basically um, the way for the domain to decrypt any sort of DPAPI blob in the Active Directory. One of those, as we said, is that are the cookies themselves. So if an attacker gain access to that master key, he can do that at scale. He can retrieve every user's cookies and decrypt them at scale for as long as the domain existed. So obviously, so let me get this straight. So if the domain controller is compromised, that master key is exposed, any endpoint on that domain that has cookies, those cookies can be harvested. Uh, is that is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly exactly right. That takes it to a whole different scale, in my opinion. So, I mean, protection at the endpoint level is absolutely critical, but uh, it, it can potentially, these cookies can be exposed in a domain co- uh, controller compromise as well. So that's that was shockingly uh, news to me. So uh, I, I'm glad that we could share that with, with the audience today. So as an organization or an individual user, um, how can you know if your cookies have been hijacked? <laughs> As an end user, how do you know if your cookies have been hijacked? I don't know. I well, mean, you can yeah. go ahead, Shy. So, so sorry, sorry, Andy. What, what, no. One thing you can probably do is monitor access, right? So, whether you use password, MFA, or cookies, eventually the access will appear. So, for example, you know, let's take Google for example. Google does allow you to see login from certain IPs. Um, and stealing that cookie will still show that on the on the log. So I, would, you know, one recommendation would be both enterprise or personal is review locations where um, y- you you seem to be accessing that service and ensure that all coming from your own known locations. 
I think we may have touched upon this here and there. How do attackers steal cookies? How do attackers steal cookies is uh, like multiple ways of doing it. I mean, there are, again, uh, local attacks that could allow an attacker to read the cookies file. Uh, there are ways to extract this cookie information from memory. But there's also other ways um, on the server side. Uh, if a web application is vulnerable to uh, cross-site scripting, for example, this would be a, a method to uh, disclose uh, the cookie information. Uh, browsing on, and this very rarely happens anymore, but it, browsing on an unencrypted, non-TLS uh, web session uh, could allow an attacker to sniff the web traffic and and, and pull out the cookie information. Uh, so there, there's multiple ways to go about uh, stealing cookies uh, from, from an endpoint uh, in a web session. Yeah, and, and I can tell you what we do mostly when we do engagements. Again, this is obviously catered to the corporate world, but um, as, as Andy mentioned, right? So there's mostly is either access to the device. Um, so the cookies are stored as a file, you just need to read that file remotely or locally and, and gain decrypted with the user master keys offline. Um, so, so that's one. And the second thing that Andy also mentioned, when we do find certain vulnerabilities that allows um, for client-side attack, the common one would be an ability to get the client to run code if you were able to find a vulnerability in the application. And that code oftentimes would basically send the client cookies to us, the attackers. Um, so, so those are the most common one we've seen. Um, even the one that Andy mentioned before where you can buy them um, on the dark web, that's basically most of the time by utilizing these two factors, either the user machine was already compromised by, by malware and the attacker stole the cookies and then sold them, or they were able to exploit the vulnerability in the web server that got all the clients running or connecting to that web server to send the cookies. Um, so those are probably the most common um, ways to steal cookies that we've seen. When people come to me, they often ask, hey, Andy, what do I do to protect myself from cookie harvesting and session hijacking attacks like what we're talking about today? And the traditional answer that we've almost always given in the InfoSec community is, you know, password manager and MFA, password manager and multi-factor authentication. That's the way to fix your problems. Well, that's no longer the case here. Uh, if a machine is compromised with standard user access, we're able to harvest credentials, bypass multi-factor authentication, and, and, and hijack these web sessions that we're now so dependent on. Um, so the guidance that we're providing is slightly changing. Uh, absolutely maintain that password manager. Absolutely maintain that MFA, but we need some sort of endpoint control to protect these credential stores, where these session tokens, these cookies, these credentials are being stored. So it, it's no longer just password manager and MFA. We have to have some sort of password manager, multi-factor, and some sort of endpoint control to protect these processes from stealing these session tokens and cookies. One thing I wanted to ask before we we wrapped officially, um, I'll start with you, Shai, um, and and the audience should know they haven't been prepared for for this question. Uh, what is your favorite cookie? <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, it is the cookie that gives me access to the EDR. 
<laughs> you had to go straight to the technical answer there. I, I thought you I'll were going to say fig I noodle. Know, I know, I know, I know. That's that's where I, you know, that's my favorite cookie. I'm all right. Lie. Yep. Fair See, enough. I, I could I could hack Andy. web sessions all day long, but when you come to real cookies, it, it's my wife's chocolate chips. Uh, my goodness, she she makes this amazing cookie with vanilla pudding. And it's so soft and so tender. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm literally salivating just thinking about my wife's chocolate chip cookies. Wow. All right. Well, we'll be uh, we'll be checking in um, on the uh, the IM after to see if we can get some sent up to the uh, the Newton office. Um, hey, I'll even try to see if I can get the recipe and we can post the recipe on the podcast. What do you think? Um, now, now you're talking. I like it. <laughs> I'll take the cookies. You know, I prefer the cookies themselves. So if you want to send me those cookies, <laughs> you got it. You got it, brother. Do you have any other predictions about attack trends in the new year? Um, any other old techniques that will resurface in 2023? Andy, you want to start with that one? Yeah. We don't know what we don't know. <laughs> uh, with the fact that we're continuing to discover vulnerabilities and exploit those vulnerabilities, uh, it's hard to say uh, with, with any certainty what the future holds in store for us. Uh, but what I can say is, is that old habits die hard. The tried and true tactics of the past will continue to persist. Uh, we're going to see the continued abuse of session hijacking, uh, the, the continued stealing of cookies. Uh, we're going to see more, again, uh, reliance on web browsers. And so we're going to be seeing more and more of, of this sort of an attack in the future for sure. Shy. I can only predict things that we've, you know, that we are doing and what we are seeing in the industry and, and actors doing. Um, one major trend is the um, cloud-only attacks, um, and we see this from from different reasons. And you know, something we have started doing uh, primarily, you know, moving away from the on-premise to, to the cloud-only, not only doing some cloud, but moving to to the operation, doing the entire attack in the cloud. And again, it gives attackers different different value. One is the visibility. A lot of time organizations do see the on-premise, but but they lack some sensors in, in cloud environment. Um, it also, you know, that shared responsibility model, right? Um, sometimes there are gaps between what the cloud provider needs to protect versus the, the organization. Um, we've seen it happens in almost every major organization we've tested. Um, we foresee that to continue into 2023. For those... Uh... People who'd be interested in diving a little bit deeper, hearing more on this subject. Um, no more cookie for you. Attacking and defending credentials in Chromium-based browsers. I guess I got to say it more like the Seinfeld episode. No more cookie for you. Um, that is available now on cyberarc.com. Check it out. Guys, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to talking to you again real soon. Always David, a pleasure. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you. Always a pleasure, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Trust Issues. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, constructive comment preferably, but, you know, it's up to you. Or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at trustissues at cyberarc.com. And make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. 